Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here today to talk about Daniel Isn't Real, a film that I very much enjoyed. Dan, would you like to give the audience the plot, the sweet arrowheads, but without revealing any spoilers because we're not going to go into spoilers. Spoiler-free plot. Yes. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think as a as a comparatively modern, well, a very modern movie. Yeah. A film that's only recently had its sort of world premieres by in the grand scheme of things, it'd be best if we don't go too deep on this one. So with that in mind, uh Daniel isn't real is uh, about a young boy called Luke who sees a horrible event and at the moment that he is directly traumatized a uh, an imaginary friend appears to give him emotional support during that time their relationship quickly sours um because it seems like maybe the imaginary friend isn't quite as nice uh, as one would hope from these things and so they he so is- rarely are put away the childish things are put away flash forwards to modern day and luke is now older um and once again he is in need of emotional support and daniel returns but he is once again more of a problem than a support yeah no very good very good nice synopsis uh and yeah uh the way i see this film is it's basically muppet babies fight club it is very 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 fight club (laughs) Um, in lots of different ways um, from the kind of costume design to a certain extent with Daniel, um, the production design, again not going into spoilers but there's a house in it that feels a bit uh, kind of run down in a similar way to the house in Fight Club. Yeah, I think probably a very conscious... unlike John Doe's place in Seven as well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, no, true. So yeah, I think probably a very conscious influence. Um, the, The films of David Fincher... Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I think that um, one of these, one of the things that's really enjoyable about this, uh, I, I enjoyed it greatly when we saw it at Fright Fest. I think I probably enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. Oh, that's interesting um, for this. Um, and I think that part of that was because of the insight that uh, we'd gained. Um, Adam Egypt Mortimer posted his sort of director's rules that he'd written for himself for the for the film online, and um, and going back and sort of watching him work through that stuff in the film was was an extra layer of satisfying I, uh, and, yeah. and it's deeply it's layered enough that there is definitely stuff there for a second watch yeah no i i'd agree with that i mean i i uh slightly different i absolutely loved it at fright fest i really did and then i enjoyed it slightly less on a second watch and we're doing harpoon next time uh so we won't go into that now but I think maybe the reverse is true for you on that one. But we'll get to that one next time. Both at Fright Fest, both, you know, very cool films with very cool directors. Um, so there is a lot to connect. Daniel isn't real and Harpoon. But yeah, I just, I, I think it, it's strange. The, the, the kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the, the rules took a bit out of it for me. I don't know. Oh really? You didn't? Yeah. You enjoyed it less with that? Yeah, uh, I, yeah. It's a it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like hearing from directors about films and like their approach to films. That like people are getting a, a lot more open about that kind of thing. And you know, I'm guilty of it myself. I did 
several interviews for Frankenstein's Creature and explained every single influence in detail. Um, and I don't know if I want to go back to the days where we didn't know and we could kind of project our own sort of uh, feelings and responses to films. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I am going I, I, against the whole premise of Blu-ray extras <laughs> by saying this. Um, I, I, so maybe I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I think that the, you can kind of have your cake and eat it with this one because, yeah. or not with this film specifically, although I, I mean with this subject, because yeah, yeah. W- one of the things that I found interesting about the second watch was the technical side of it. Yeah. Uh, and I felt that Adam didn't over explain his like meanings and intents mm. as far as, uh, as far as sort of metaphor went. Although obviously some of that is, is obvious as some less so. Um, but he was, but the language that he was using for the film was laid bare. And I found that very interesting. Okay. Uh, and, and I think that that's really what I like most about, um, about an extra feature. And I'm going to just guess and say that that's what everyone likes most about extra features without necessarily knowing it, Hmm. because people don't like being told what to, how to feel about something. If you like something, you like it. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. But if you liked it, you have reasons for liking it. And so Hmm. if a director comes along and tells you that you liked it for the wrong reasons, then that's going to negatively impact your enjoyment of a film. But if a director points out a cool thing they did or like, a motif that they were using that foreshadowed something, then I think you can appreciate that in a way that maybe you wouldn't if they were telling you how to feel about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Maybe where I'm coming from is talking about even those approaches do reveal intent, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, of course. and, And if it's something kind of technically impressive, then I'd rather someone else talk about that than the person who directly made it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, like I say, I've been guilty of it myself in the past and I kind of, what I'm saying actually isn't against Blu-ray extras, um, because I do prefer that stuff to happen in the commentary as opposed to elsewhere, I guess, because I'm a, I don't know. I really don't know where I'm, where I'm coming (laughs) from on this. Um, I, I think I'm talking myself round and round in circles, but there was just something about it that made me... I guess maybe that's it. Here's how I like to, to watch films, right? I like yeah. to see them at the cinema. Yep. I like to watch them again at home. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing I like to do is listen to all the commentaries. I yeah. don't like to watch at the cinema, watch the commentary, then watch it again. Does that make sense? And so that intervention on Twitter where I got information that I normally would get on the commentary between okay. seeing it at the cinema and revisiting it had an impact on me. Um, okay, but I'm not saying, saying that people you... shouldn't do that and clearly enriched <laughs> your experience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Just, you know, all these experiences are subjective. Exactly. For me personally, um, that's kind of the order I like to go in. So, so um, do you? So, yeah. Does that mean you feel that after? So you watch at the cinema, you watch it at home, you mm-hmm. listen to audio commentary, yeah, possibly plural. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that any watch post audio commentary is less enjoyable or is it merely the sort of sanctity of those two first watches the theatrical and the domestic watches it really depends on on what's being said on the commentary every experience is different really um but i normally leave quite a long gap um so it doesn't have as much of an impact if that makes sense um between revisiting films because obviously dan we watch so many films and oh yes you know i don't know about you but one of my rules is in terms of you know what i watch at home is i try not to watch the same film twice at least in one year 
Um, Except unless we're doing podcasts about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but I don't count that as watching it twice, if that makes sense, um, even if I'm watching multiple commentaries for the podcast. But I'm just talking about, you know, for my own No, personal... I mean, because we watched Daniel Isn't Real less than 12 months ago, and then we both watched it again, and then uh, commentaries... And, uh, and, yeah. I, I, this is going to be really interesting for the arrowheads, but I'm actually, I don't mean a 12 month period. I mean, you mean individual one years. Calis- like yeah, exactly. a specific year. Exactly. Oh, right. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that helps because if arrow pick up stuff that, you know, show stuff at Fright Fest, then it's unlikely to be on the podcast before January. <laughs> this is it. But anyway, this is not what people wanted to listen to. Yeah, um, they love this shit. Um, so <laughs> can I, can I do another aside uh, as sort of an extras grumble? Yeah. Go on. But that the, the kind of fits in. It's not. An, it's not a grumble about this. Um, I uh, I showed Jen the cook, the thief, with his wife and her lover uh, a couple of days ago. She'd not seen it, and and as you know, and as as some of the podcast listeners will know, it's a very important film to me. Uh, I think it's probably the first non uh, animated film I ever saw, like on VHS, mm-hmm. and I watched it a lot. My parents let me watch it. They had it on tape. It was, I think it was the only tape they had. And then, uh, and then I'd sneak down and watch it again and again and again when I was young. I, I, there was a Blu-ray of it, so I picked up a Blu-ray because Jen said she hadn't seen it. I'm like, well, fuck, we're going to get the Blu-ray. And it's so fucking bare bones. And I'm sure I've seen extra features about like the cinematography and the lighting. You know, Greenaway is such a painterly director. Mm. And there's just nothing on there. And I want that. I want that content. Yeah. Why the fuck is that not on BFI? <laughs> that film. Anyway, yeah, so... Yeah. No, I, I totally yeah. hear you. For our favourite films, and who knows, Daniel Isn't Real might end up being someone's favourite film somewhere down the line, you know, many years down the line. You do want I as think it's much... Got, it's got cult classic potential. Yeah, so you do want as much as possible. But I guess what I'm talking about more than kind of Blu-ray extras and stuff is the kind of information that we're given um, by the directors. And I can't really ratify that. In a way, like, I, I would rather not do any interviews at all about films um that you know if i'm lucky enough to make more i understand that it's very much part of the process and 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 all the rest of it but and you know we all have our interesting stories about our time on set you as much as anyone but yeah i just don't know if it sometimes ruins the magic a little bit i mean you're very good at not like you you kind of show behind the scenes but in a way that sort of makes your work very interesting. But you don't say, well, here's how I did this, here's how I did that, here's how I did that. Do you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Like you show stuff from your workshop of like tests of effects and stuff, but they're just as as impressive or, you know, in a different way as as when they end up in the film itself. Um, yeah. but you're not sitting you know there going what? here's how I did it guys it's it's like a magician revealing its tricks you know I was literally about to say that and I yeah. and I and I have I, I you know occasionally I do occasionally I just I'll, I'll talk technical and, and mm. explain how I did something but you know if I feel that it's sort of workoutable I'd yeah. rather just put it out there but um but yeah no I think you're right because you know special effects is magic yeah, literally. Uh, and to some extent, filmmaking is magic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is like a, a, a magician revealing their tricks where when it's unknown, when it's a mystery, you've got all that wonder and you've got all that supposition. And then as soon as they're like, oh, no, it went up a sleeve, mate. Yeah. And, and <laughs> do you like, know what? Oh, Some, sometimes... I'm just, like, I'm just really good at putting stuff up my sleeve. <laughs> like I say, sometimes I want that information. I want to know it. But I want to 
sit down, put on the disc, select audio commentary and know that that's what I'm in for. And it's like, oh, this film, I really want to know how they put it together. I really hope they go into detail on that. But it's my choice, do you know what I mean? Rather than reading an interview with someone and them laying it all out and me going, oh, okay, well, that's that's that film then, I guess, you know? Um, he wears a red shirt because of his mum. Exactly, uh... <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, let's let's go back to the, the, the actual film itself. I thought the performances were, were particularly good in this. Um, yeah. It, it, very interesting, especially, you know, so there's a, a, a kind of Jacob's Ladder influence. Um, really interesting that it stars the son of Tim Robbins, uh, who plays Miles, and also, yeah, yeah. obviously, the, the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Patrick Schwarzenegger, that's an interesting choice to put two uh, sons of famous actors into this film specifically. What did you think about well, their especially a film and... about issues yeah. with parents as exactly. well? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I mean, like you know, I, I I certainly don't know what it's like to be the son of a, uh, a massive Hollywood celebrity, um, and I'd imagine that the Robbins household and the Schwarzenegger household are slightly different in the way that they. Um, they sort of interact with the Hollywood world. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, like, I feel that there's those, both those young actors are not so young that they're now just getting given roles because of who their parents are. Mm. There's this sort of like window of nepotism <laughs> in an acting career where it's like, oh, fucking hell, it's Schwarzenegger's kid, give him a role. But because yeah. we haven't seen them in a lot of stuff up until now, I think maybe it's working against them. It's like the like the curse of the Oscar, you know, when an indie actor gets an Oscar and then suddenly all of the roles that would normally approach them are like, well, we can't afford them now. They've got an Oscar. And so suddenly they're not getting any any offers. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if they were, uh, I wonder if they were like maybe not being approached by the this kind of film normally, like, you know, genre indie films. Because, you know, it's Arnie's kid. Yeah, well, I know Patrick Schwarzenegger in particular. Um, now, I, I haven't seen him in anything else, but I, I think he, he's done, like, maybe teen stuff. I don't know. But okay. um, in a lot of interviews, he, he spoke about how he's seen in a certain way. And he took this role because he really wanted to fight against that kind of typecasting, I guess. And he said you know, uh, to Adam and to uh, presumably costume designer uh, that he very much wanted to look completely different. He didn't want it to be just Patrick Schwarzenegger comes in and has plays around and has fun. He really wanted to completely transform himself. So they dyed his hair black, they dyed his eyebrows black um, and they worked really hard on the costuming. Um, and yeah, apparently he, he's a big Nick Cage fan and used him as an inspiration uh, for Daniel, which is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can see I can see some of that. There's that yeah. kind of cage energy flowing through a lot of these scenes where yeah. he's he's a little manic. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's uh, incredibly charismatic. And, um, yeah, I, I just think the performances are, are one of the things that, that makes this film really special, as is some of the stuff that, that, that you talked about and, you know, for everything that I said before, which I, I'm tempted to completely retract because this commentary was great. <laughs> um, well, that's, uh, but, but, but that's it, it's the commentary. I, I yeah. think maybe you, you were talking, uh, you know, don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were talking more about being sort of like s- 
sidelined. Yeah. Not sidelined. What's the word? Doorstepped by yeah. the information rather than sitting down and going, okay, now we're doing the academic side. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, that's exactly what I was saying. Thank you for putting words into my mouth. Yeah, it, it basically it, it covers the shot choices, production design and performances in great detail. And, you know, between this and the information that is out there, one th- very positive thing that is clear is that um, Adam Egypt Mortimer was extremely prepared for this film. Like, oh yeah, you know the level of prep that that you've experienced on on a couple of projects, like with Travis on Girl on the Third Floor, and um, with Ben Wheatley. It, he seems like that kind of director. Yeah, I mean, yeah, someone who comes to set knowing exactly what they want, but yeah. also isn't closed off to the like the skills that they're. The, the team around them can bring as well which is always uh, the sign of a good director that they're like an antenna for the skills of the people they've surrounded themselves with yeah you, like you, a filter totally. metaphor. do you know what's <laughs> happened what's happened with this podcast is sometimes when i watch a film um i don't I, this used to happen more when i was younger but um it's almost like i'm possessed by the film and i think that what's really going on is that me and my imaginary friend uh, having an argument about whether I like information about films or not. Obviously, I like information <laughs> about films. Go away, imaginary friend, evil, whatever. Have you ever had that when you watch a film and you come out feeling like a different person, or uh, am I literally just um, no, no? I think yeah, troubled? I think <clears throat> there's shades of it. Obviously, it's a spectrum, but. But yeah, I mean, we're always going to be somewhat affected, you know, whether it's because we think someone's cool. And so, you know, it's, it's how, lo- yeah. like, you know, it's how phrases and catchphrases fall into public lexicon. Yeah. Because, you know, enough people decided that that person was cool or that line was funny or whatever, that that thing just kind of starts to exist outside of the film and then just becomes part of the world. And obviously it's easier for it to happen with, with TV shows where we get so many more hours of content, so many more hours of these characters saying these things mm. and where catchphrases and repetition are so much more important to the way they're sold to the audience. Mm. But I think with films as well, you know, people emulate characters that they think are cool um, and mostly, you know, that's a positive thing. That's a fun thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like a, a well-made film will affect you on an emotional level, will affect you on a, a personal level. And you'll come out of it thinking about something or considering something. And sometimes, you know, if it lines up with stuff in your real life, maybe not even events, just thoughts, then it can it can be really impactful. And, and it'll leave you, like you know, reeling. Yeah, completely. And, you know, uh, one of this film's main influences, we mentioned it before, Fight Club, obviously for a a film that was seen as a relative flop at the time, the impact it's had on the lexicon of of culture is kind of insane. And the, 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 the fate of smart and expensive and genre (laughs) is almost always unappreciated in its own time, absolute indelible classic 10 years later yeah completely um and yeah uh other extras on the disc uh include well it's a a great disc if you're a member of the arrow video fright fest family um arrow was smart enough to record the intro and q uh, to the film and i kind of i do wish more people would do that um it really took me back to the screening and you know hot day and being in the air-conditioned room and watching this kind of mind-blowing film 
Um, I do have very fond memories of this screening, so it's nice to revisit it. Uh, and I think it's interesting for people who weren't at that screening. It's a really good Q&A, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Arrow are sort of inextricably twisted into the Fright First thing now. It's the yeah. Arrow Fright First. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense that when they do their European premieres at this festival, they harvest all of this stuff and it, 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 it then gets preserved on these discs. It's really nice to go back to it. Yeah, totally. And and a nice kind of interview as well. Um, a nice Fright Fest interview separate to the Q&A. So, yeah, yeah, there, yeah there the is media wall stuff. And and it's like and and a, a little junkety thing as well. And so yeah, it's really nice that you know for all the access to Adam we get on this disc. There's not too much crossover. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of information here. So um, should you love the film and you should, then there is plenty to dive into. Shall we go on to recommendations or because I, again I don't want to go into plot stuff on this one at all, really? Because no, yeah, that's it. We've, we've been kind of skirting, and I think we've done a good job of, of just talking around the houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very excited about Arch Enemy. Can't recommend it. Haven't seen it, but that Adam's next project is sounds really exciting, and I'll watch anything with Glenn Howerton and even if sometimes that tricks me into watching Officer Down <laughs> <laughs> and he's in The Hunt as well coming up but um, oh yeah he is isn't he yeah yeah uh, yeah no a, a, another cool cast uh, so Dan recommendations based on Daniel Isn't Real what have you got well so like this is an, this is one of those ones where I, I had a, a bunch of stuff came to me and it all felt a bit obvious mm-hmm and I know you and I both try to do things that the other one isn't going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but so my, my, my first one, which I think is a really good recommendation, I'm, I feel like I've I definitely mentioned it on the podcast before. I can't remember if I've recommended it before. It may have just been one I'd watched recently, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, it's Paper House. Have oh, yeah. Paper House before? I don't know if you I think have. It's ter- no. It was, uh, it was sort of really hard to get a hold of for absolutely years. And then it, uh, I think it's turned up on Amazon now. Um, yeah, I think it's on Prime, Fantastic. which is really, really exciting. Um, it's a late 80s British sort of kid horror uh, by Bernard Rose, who did Candyman. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and it's, it, it's got parallels to Daniel Isn't Real. It's about a young girl uh, who's stuck at home. She's sick. And she's drawing and she realizes that the things she draws are sort of leeching into reality. So she is like the things in her mind are starting to affect the real world. I don't want to say too much about it. It's got that. It's got a really nice, even though it's late 80s, it's got that kind of 70s British like misery that goes in a lot of British genre stuff from the 70s Mm. um, all over it. It's quite dour and it's just so fucking good. Um, So, yeah, that. (laughs) <laughs> great great yeah i think if you have ever recommended it it would have been on the Candyman episode but i i don't remember what you just said about it so you've said different things so um yeah a really really great recommendation like you i have a, a list of things that are quite obvious but in the spirit of not giving any kind of plot spoilers uh i'm gonna go with blockers uh, and focus on oh, nice. um, actors instead. Um, now, Block is really sweet and, and diverse comedy, kind of similar to Book Smart in its tone. If you love Book Smart, you'll love Blockers, I think. Uh, but yeah, it features Miles Robbins as well. And yeah, I think Robbins is great in Daniel, and Blockers is such a lovely movie. So yes, 
Plockers, I recommend it. Dan, what's next? You you did a, I think you did an interview with someone about it and as an extra feature a long time ago I don't on think this I podcast. Did. Or did I? Yeah, well, you or or you maybe it was something you'd watched recently and you recommended uh, it. But, yeah, no, I've definitely I, but recommended I, but I, it before. I yeah. do. Th- I th- I feel like it's worth digging back and seeing if you can find the extra feature because I'm sure you did. Did you you did a junkie on it, didn't you? I did, but um, mm. it was a video yeah. junkie, so I don't think I would have had anything spare. Uh, maybe not but, then. Um, but yeah, anyway, great movie, no, great movie. Uh, what's next from yeah. you on the recommendations front? Uh, it's from 1991. It's one of the obvious ones, but I can't not mention it because it was such an important part of my childhood. It's Drop Dead Fred. Of course. So I'm sure like 99% of our listeners have watched it, but if you haven't seen it, it's a very sad movie uh, about a young Phoebe Cates uh, or youngish, young adult Phoebe Cates being revisited by her childhood imaginary friend. Um, much like in Daniel Isn't Real, he is a, a, a source of chaos rather than of help. Uh, and in specifically because he is still leaning very heavily on the way that they interacted as children, he's still got a very childish attitude to the world. Um, but the saddest thing about it is that he is actually emotionally very good for her. And they basically, the, the adults in the real world are basically like, we're going to kill your friend with psych- psychological drugs. <laughs> And obviously, I don't think I've watched it since uh, Rick Mel passed away. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit it. It's on it's on Amazon. It's not not Prime, but it's on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, so God. You know, I might rewatch it and go, Oh Christ, what have I recommended to people? But um, but I I must have seen this film like a dozen times when I was a, a young teenager. Yeah, I, I think I think it does have some problematic elements to it. But I'm sure um, it does. You know, uh, I also grew up on that film and, um, yeah, sort of golden recommendation from the Arrow Video podcast. If you only receive one message from us over the course of all of these episodes, uh, that is that you should watch more things with Rick Mail in it. Um, he, is, <laughs> well, he was uh, a, an absolute genius. Um, yeah. A, a patron saint of the Arrow Video podcast, I'd say. Is that fair to say? God, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, my, uh, one of my very, very early girlfriends when I was like, like in my very early teens, and I used to write fan episodes of the Dangerous Brothers together. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, definitely (laughs) check out the Dangerous Brothers. Right, that is not my recommendation for Daniel Isn't Real. Uh, I actually think that the best two recommendations for this are, as Dan chose, Drop Dead Fred and Fight Club. I also think Black Swan and Persona and weirdly Joker. If you watched Joker and loved it, there are elements to this film that you'll love too. Um, But I've decided to go instead for Andrea Arnold's American Honey, which is the movie that made Adam want to cast Sasha Lane. And she is astonishing in it, as is Shia LaBeouf. Uh, It's basically a coming-of-age road trip movie, but done in that beautifully poetic Andrea Arnold style. Um... I'm not going to say any more about it other than it is very long, so do set aside time for it. I think it's just under three hours, like maybe two hour 45 or something like that. Um, and, you know, uh, as you might expect with that runtime, it is it takes its time in places, but, but for me in a beautiful way. So American Honey, I recommend it. Dan, what have you watched over the past couple of weeks? 
Uh, I watched uh, a giallo that I'd never seen before. Uh, I got it on Blu-ray in a lovely media book from Germany. Uh, Germany is releasing a bunch of previously incredibly hard-to-find films um, at the moment. And I was given a little bit of insight into this the other day. I was out for drinks uh, with Mark Morris um, uh, of Nucleus Films, a friend of Arrow. And he... um, was telling me that in Germany, and uh, I think maybe some other European countries as well, uh, the copyright legislation on the release of old films it basically says if you've like made an honest effort to try and find the rights holder and you've come up with a blank, you can just release it. Uh, and as long as you put aside a little bit of money in case someone comes forwards and can prove that they own the rights of the film, then uh, then then it's all good. And if they haven't in the, in like eight years or something, then you get to keep that money as well. So that's why we're seeing all these amazing previously like never released films because they were caught up in a sort of a rights mire mm. uh, turning up in in Germany. So um, this is Plot of Fear uh, from 1976. Uh, it's directed by Paolo Cavara. It's a uh, it's one that's always uh, appealed to me um, because it uses the illustrations from the German children's story, sh- uh, well, children's book, Shocker to Peter, Struhl Peter, mm-hmm. the cautionary tales that I, I was a big fan of when I was younger and sort of grown up with. Um, but the only versions I could find were either a really, really shitty VHS copy, which did have subtitles but was basically unwatchable, um, although, and then Raro Video over in Spain did a DVD, but it didn't have English subtitles on it. So now it's available um, with English subs, and actually there's an English track on it as well, although I've not listened to the English track, I just watched it in Italian. Um, uh, it's Eli Wallach in it. Uh, it's, oh, it's just fucking great. It's a really good, tight narrative giallo and it's not one of those ones where like the last five minutes is them going no he's mad and that's the twist like that it's someone you'd never have guessed and it was mad and i can't explain why too much because it would uh spoil the ending but it's got some really interesting stuff that is still relevant now or not even still relevant has become relevant again now um, about the collecting of information and the dissemination of information about people and and uh technological lack of privacy mm. um yeah it's really fucking good sounds and it's great. got a great soundtrack yeah that sounds but great yeah. it is it, it, it is of its era and there are some problematic bits <laughs> so ah. there you go okay all right well uh my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks is the gorgeous second sight release of under the shadow um mm. i picked up the the lovely limited edition uh it's still available uh, it hasn't sold out yet. And if you haven't seen Under the Shadow, it's a film that I gave five stars to in... What did I give it? it um, a horror magazine. I can't remember which one. But I remember giving it five stars because it had such an impact on me. Um, and that impact remains. Um, it's basically set in the late 80s in Tehran. Uh, and it, it, it the kind of setting is the Iran uh, Iraq War of that time. And uh, 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 Shadar, a young woman lead, um, is kind of stuck. Her husband has been sent off to to serve in the war um, and there are air raids going on around her. And she's basically uh, been left alone with her her daughter, Dorsa. And spooky things start happening. It's basically, (laughs) it's very M.R. James. um, Yes, yeah. uh, Very M.R. James. And just every 
moment of this film is perfect for me. I just loved it so much. So it, it's finally out on a really lovely Blu-ray um, that Second Sight are putting out, and they've put loads of extras on there. there there's new interviews. There's a, a BAFTA-nominated short film um, and uh, a, a really, really great audio commentary with uh, Babak Anvari and Jamie Graham, who is uh, one of my friends. And yeah, Babak Anvari obviously wrote and directed the film. So uh, really, really great commentary. If you listen to Evolution of Horror, you'll be familiar with Jamie Graham. Uh, and yeah, I can't recommend this release enough. It's limited edition of 2000. Um, and you get like a book and stuff and a poster featuring the lovely new artwork. Nice. And yeah, it's just a really, <laughs> uh, I sound yeah. like I'm in love with this release, but I am. It's <laughs> great. Um, so pick it up if you can. Under the Shadow, uh, which is on Second Sight. Yeah, they're doing some really good stuff. I, I enjoyed it a lot when I, when I saw it when it first came out. I, I would like to revisit it. So thank you. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what's next from you? Um, so my next one is having just complained, having just gushed about uh, how these previously, like you know, only available on crappy VHS or unsubtitled films were now becoming available. I'm going to recommend a film that you can only watch uh, <laughs> on a crappy VHS rip. Yay! Uh, there's a uh, there's a print of it on YouTube, uh, which is a rip from the Duh. early '90s American Apple tape. The there are actually 35 mil prints in existence, and hopefully. Uh, it will come to light in the near future. Um, unfortunately, uh, for reasons I'll go into, uh, it is being suppressed at the moment. Right. Uh, but hopefully that's all going to change. Um, it's, uh, it's a film from 1968, directed by Kinji Fukusaku. Uh, it's Black Lizard. Uh, it's based on a detective character uh, who was written by Idegawa Rampo, uh, who is sort of a, a very important figure in Japanese uh, genre cinema. Uh, but it's not a horror film per se. It's a, it's a comedy noir, I guess. Um, it's unbelievably beautiful and garish and bright and exciting. It's about a, a cool femme fatale diamond thief who uh, is abducting people and turning them into living statues. Uh, <laughs> but the the screenwriter who actually cameos in it as one of the living statues uh, came out just before his death uh, to the surprise of his wife and his wife has who is obviously keeper of his estate has suppressed anything that might uh, relate to his uh, surprise homosexuality um, and in particular this because it features a trans uh, actor playing the femme fatale and as is quite rare she's not playing a trans character she's just playing regular lady um uh which was virtually unheard of she was actually a, a theater quite a famous theater performer her costumes are unfucking believable all the way through the movie um but there's a love interest between her and the detective and nothing is made of the fact that uh, she is a trans performer which I think is why the, uh, the the wife took exception to it. Uh, so I went I went to a talk at the Miskatonic Horror Society in London recently, which is a fantastic thing. They actually happen all over the place now. I think there's one in it happens in uh, in the states somewhere and up in Canada as well. Um, but Jasper Sharp was talking uh, about Irogoro uh, nonsense, this like crazy gory Japanese horror stuff that Rampo is so mixed in with and this was one of the films he mentioned so I immediately went and hunted it down uh, and it, like I said there's a relatively poor rip of an old uh, American VHS 
available on um, on YouTube. Uh, it's the there there have been multiple uh, versions of this novel adaptation. So this is the 1968 version by Kinji Fukusaku. It's really worth w- watching. Um, I have actually, well, Jen, my wife, actually uh, bought uh, a copy of the VHS after we watched it, and we will be transferring that, digitizing that ourselves <laughs> to try and get a better quality copy. Um, but yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's really beautiful and really fun. Great. Well, this this uh, fortnight, you are specialising in the super obscure things, and I am specialising in the things that people probably have already seen, but have just get come out on, on Amazon. Lovely, <laughs> um, lovely editions. Uh, but yeah, it, yes, you can get it on Amazon, but it is still uh, more obscure than yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Roma, <laughs> which is my <laughs> nice. uh, recommendation. Uh, the Criterion UK Criterion release. It's also in the states. Uh, of Roma is absolutely beautiful. Uh, another film that I love, and uh, the disc, uh, as you'd expect from Criterion, is packed. There's a new documentary about the making of the film, and um, there's a, a wonderful documentary about um, the film's kind of sound production, the post-production stuff, because um, obviously that was one of the best elements of Roma for me, anyway. In with the performances, the sound design was fucking beautiful. So um, there's stuff on that in there too, and stuff on the kind of the the impact, uh, the kind of social impact the the film and the film's theatrical campaign had uh, on Mexico. So, yeah, it's just uh, a really, really lovely disc uh, for a very uh, wonderful film. Roma, out now. I recommend it. That is it. Uh, Extra features. Extra features? Extra features. Uh, extra features. No extra features. Should Zero we do extra features. Social media <laughs> instead, which is a, a supplemental feature. Dan, how can people follow you and your dogs? At 13 finger effects on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yep, I've actually been posting more dogs on my personal uh, feed recently uh, to try and punctuate the bombardment that has been me uh, begging for award votes and also <laughs> just constantly retweeting articles about films I've, I've worked on that have just come out. But yeah, that those, those things. You've done a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I, as ever, I'm going to recommend that you follow me on Instagram, Sam Asher 23, the number two, the number three. Uh, I've had a few new followers recently since I tidied it up and made it more professional. So uh, please do come and see me over at Instagram. I'll be glad to have you. Right, that is it for this fortnight. Next time we're going to be doing Harpoon, uh, which is a fantastic film with fantastic extras. So uh, buy it now. You will not regret it. And then come back and see us in a fortnight. Uh, But until then, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. And we promise to be more professional (laughs) next time. Next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye.